Section 11 of Swanhild and Other Fairy Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Annalisa Bodker. Swanhild and Other Fairy Tales by Wilhelm Hauf. Translated by Carolyn Knox Horwitz. Section 11. The Princess on the Glass Mountain. There was once a king who was very fond of the chase. He seemed to have no greater pleasure in life than to hunt down wild beasts. Early and late he was in the woods with his pack of hounds and his attendants, and he was always successful with his sport. One day it happened that he could find no game. He searched throughout the woods from morning to sunset, but without success. When evening came on, the king and his followers set out for home. As he was riding along, he saw, running before him through the woods, a dwarf wild man. The dwarf's hair was long and shaggy, and his clothing was a rough bearskin. At once the king set spurs to his horse and, riding after the dwarf, caught him. Both the king and his followers were surprised to see such a strange being, for the wild man was as ugly as he was small, and his hair was matted together like sea grass. When the king spoke to him, he would neither answer him nor speak a single word. Thereupon the king grew very angry, for he was already provoked at his want of luck in the chase that day. So he ordered his servants to bind the wild man fast, that he might not escape, and carry him back with them to the palace. When they reached the court, the wild man was confined in the castle. It was the custom in those days for the king to have a banquet each evening with his courtiers, this feast was kept up until late in the night. That night, as they sat at the table making merry, the king lifted high his hunting horn and said, What do you think of our chase today? Who shall say of us that we ever return from the chase without bringing some prey with us? The courtiers answered, What you have said is indeed true and there is not to be found in all the world another such huntsman as your majesty. And today you have caught a wild animal, the like of which has never before been seen nor heard of. These speeches pleased the king beyond measure, and he asked what they thought he had best to do with the wild man. By all means, replied the courtiers, have him confined in your court. Then may all people from far and near see for themselves what a great hunter is your majesty. Only have him kept securely, for he is no doubt cunning and clever, and will try his best to escape. When the king heard their reply, he was silent for a while, then answered, I shall do as you suggest, and it shall not be my fault if he breaks away. Moreover, I swear that whosoever shall help the wild man to escape, he shall die without mercy were he my own son. 
Thereupon the king took up his glass and emptied it as a pledge for his word. But alas, his oath was dearly paid for. The courtiers looked at each other in surprise. They had never heard the king speak so strongly before, and they saw clearly that the wine had gone to his head. When the king awoke next morning, he remembered his foolish oath. He therefore sent at once for his workmen and had a strong iron cage built in his palace garden. In the middle of the iron cage there was a door fastened by a padlock so strong that no one could break it, and on one side of the cage there was a hole just large enough to push the food through. When it was all finished, the king had the wild man brought into the garden. Then he placed him in the cage and himself took the key. There the poor dwarf sat confined, day and night, and people came on horse and on foot to see him, but no one ever heard him complain or utter a single word. After a short time, war broke out with another kingdom, and the king was obliged to go forth to the battle. Before he left the palace, he said to the queen, You will reign in my absence. I leave the land and people under your care. But one thing you must promise me, namely, that you will have the wild man well guarded while I am gone, so that he shall not escape. The queen promised to do her best in everything, so the king gave her the key of the cage. He then went on board his ship, hoisted his flags, and sailed away to the wars. The queen stood on the shore and watched until the last flag disappeared in the distance. Then she and her attendants returned to the court. Now the king and queen had an only son. He was as yet only a child, but he gave promise of a brilliant career in the future. One day, while the king was at the war, the little prince was wandering about the palace gardens and came at last to the wild man's cage. He stood near the cage and played with his golden ball. While he was thus playing, he threw the ball so hard that it bounced through the little hole in the iron cage. The wild man picked it up and threw it back to him. This seemed to the prince great fun, so he threw his ball again into the cage, and the dwarf returned it as before. Thus they played for quite a time, but at last the wild man seemed to grow tired of the play. He kept the ball and would not return it. When the little prince found that neither threats nor entreaties would bring back his ball, he began to cry. Thereupon the wild man spoke for the first time since the king had captured him. Your father, he said, has treated me shamefully. I will not give you back your ball unless you will set me free. The little boy answered, How could I set you free? Give me back my ball, my lovely gold ball. The wild man said, If you want your ball back, you must do as I tell you. Go in and ask your mother to brush your hair, and while she is brushing it, do you steal the cage key from off her girdle without her knowing it. Then come here and open my cage, 
you can then replace the key in the same manner, and no one will ever find it out. Then I will give you your gold ball. The boy did just as the wild man had told him. He asked his mother to brush his hair, and while she was doing so, he stole the cage key without her perceiving it. Then he ran to the cage, opened the door, and let the wild man out. Before he left, the dwarf said, Here, I give you back your gold ball, as I have promised, and thank you very much for setting me free. And at any time, when you are in need of help, you may be certain that I will repay your kindness. Then he ran off into the woods, but the little prince went back to his mother and replaced the key in the same way that he had taken it without her knowing it. When it became known at the king's court that the wild man had in some way been freed from his cage, the queen sent her servants far and near to search for him, but he had escaped and could not be found again. As the time passed, the queen became more and more anxious to recapture the wild man, for she now daily expected her husband to return. At last, she saw far out at sea the flags on his ships and all the people collected on the shore to welcome him home. He came back victorious, but his first question was whether they had kept the wild man well guarded. Then the queen had to tell him that the wild man had escaped. She knew not how and could not be found again. At this, the king became furious. His rage gained the mastery over his better nature, and he swore that the offender who had freed the dwarf should die were it his own son. Everyone in his whole court was summoned, and each in turn questioned, but no one knew anything of the wild man's escape. At last, it was the young prince's turn to be questioned. When the king asked him, if he knew how the wild man had been freed, he answered, I know that I deserve my father's anger, but I cannot conceal the truth, for it was I who let the wild man out of his cage. At this answer the queen turned pale, and all who heard his words were sad, for there was no one who did not love the young prince. After a long silence, the king spoke as follows. Never shall it be said of me that I have broken my word, and though you are my own flesh and blood, yet you must die as I have sworn. Then the king ordered two of his servants to take the young prince into the woods and there slay him. He moreover ordered them to bring back the heart of the young prince as a proof that they had obeyed his command. Now all the people lamented and mourned for the young prince and for his sorrowing mother, and they begged earnestly that mercy might be shown him. But the king's word was irrevocable. The servants could but do as they were commanded. They took the boy between them and led him deep into the woods. Here they met a swineherd minding his herd. Then said one to the other, it does not seem to me well that we should take the life of the king's son. Let us rather buy one of these swine and carry its heart to the king. 
for no one will know that it is not the heart of the prince, and this seemed a good idea to the other servant. So they bought a swine from the keeper, slew it, and took out its heart. But the young prince they bade go on his way, where he could, only never to return to his father's court. And it can well be imagined what grief and sorrow there was at court when the servants returned and reported the death of the young prince, whom they all loved. The prince did as the servants had told him. He wandered further and further from his father's court, traveling as fast as he could. He had no food except the nuts and wild berries that he found in the woods. When he had wandered on for a long time, he came at last to a mountain. On the top of this mountain there grew a very tall tree. Now the boy thought, I will climb that tree and see if I can discover any path. No sooner said than done. When he had climbed to the very top of the tree, from where he could see for miles around, he saw, at some distance, a great palace which shone in the rays of the setting sun like pure gold. Then was his heart glad, and he turned his steps in the direction of the palace. The next day, as he was running on his way, he met a shepherd boy, who most willingly changed clothes with him. Thus attired, the young prince at length reached the distant palace and asked for employment. He was hired as a shepherd boy. Every day, from sunrise to sunset, in the woods and in the meadows, he tended his flock. And as time flew by, he forgot all his sorrows and grew until he was larger and stronger than anyone in the whole kingdom. Now the king of this country had an only daughter. She was more beautiful than any other maiden in the land and her grace and proud bearing well became her high rank and the throne to which she was heiress. When she had reached her sixteenth birthday, she had so many suitors that she could not count them, and the number increased ever as the days went by. But as she would not decide in favor of any one of them, the king at last became impatient to know what answer he should give them. So he summoned his daughter and begged her to choose among her numberless suitors which she would have. This she refused to do. Then the king became very angry and said, If you will not choose for yourself, then I must do so for you. And though my choice may not suit your fancy, nevertheless you shall marry him. When the king had thus spoken, the maiden said, If I must marry so young... Think not that I will have any one you may happen to choose. No, I will have the man who in a full suit of armor mounted on his steed can ride to the top of yonder glass mountain from the steep side. Him I will have and none other. This seemed to the king a good idea, and he consented to make the trial. He therefore had it proclaimed throughout his kingdom that the one who could ride to the top of the glass mountain should not only receive his daughter, but half the kingdom beside. On the day appointed for the first trial, the princess was escorted to the very top of the glass mountain. She went by a secret path cut in the steps on the further side. Upon a golden throne, 
placed by order of the king at the top of the mountain, the beautiful princess sat. Her crown was on her head, and in her hand she held a golden ball. She was so beautiful that all the suitors willingly risked their lives in the hope of winning so fair a bride. At the foot of the mountain were assembled all those who were to make trial for the prize of the princess's hand. So glorious were their noble steeds, so bright was their shining armor, that the whole plain below sparkled like gold in the sunlight. From all parts of the kingdom the people flocked to see the horsemen attempt to ride up the glass mountain. At the appointed hour the trumpets sounded, and the drums beat as a signal for the riders to start. Then all the suitors, one after the other, spurred on their steeds and tried with all their might to gain the top of the glass mountain. But the mountain was high and steep and was as smooth as ice. So difficult was the ascent that no one could ride but a very little way up and then head foremost down the mountain, horse and rider rolled. Arms or legs were broken in this rapid descent, and many a horse was killed or stunned by the fall. The cries of the fallen, the clashing of their armor, and the shouts of the people raised such a tumult that the noise could be heard far away. While all this was going on, the king's son wandered with his flock deep in the heart of the woods. But when all the noise and tumult from the glass mountain reached him, he sat down on a stone, buried his face in his hands, and bemoaned his sad lot. Ah, he thought, would that I might try my fortune in scaling that difficult height. Suddenly he heard steps approaching, and as he raised his head, there stood the wild man before him. Many thanks, said the dwarf for the service you rendered me on that day when last we saw one another. But why sit you here, so sorrowful and downcast? The prince answered, How can I be other than sorrowful? I cannot be merry. On your account I am banished forever from my father's palace, and now I have not even a horse and armor that I may strive to win yonder beautiful princess. Oho, said the wild man. Is that all? I can easily help you in your trouble. You helped me once when I needed your assistance. Now I will return your kindness. With these words, he took the prince by the hand and led him still further into the forest and down a flight of steps, deep into the earth where was his own subterranean abode. There he showed the youth a glittering suit of armor made of the finest steel it was so bright and shining that rays of light seemed to flash out from it on every side. Nearby stood a proud bay steed, all saddled and bridled, stamping and neighing with impatience to be off. The wild man said, Hasten now, put on yonder armor, and ride off to try your fortune. Fear nothing, and meanwhile I will tend your sheep prince needed no second invitation. He buckled on the armor, fastened the spurs on his feet and the sword by his side, and moved as lightly in his steel armor as does a bird in the air. 
Every link in his armor jingled merrily as he sprang into the saddle. Tightly he grasped the bridle rein and with lightning speed galloped off toward the glass mountain. The suitors of the princess had just finished their great test of horsemanship. Not one had won the prize, although they had all tried their very best. As now they stood at the foot of the mountain, discussing the discomfiture of the morning, and wondering what possibilities there were of some one among them winning the prize upon the next day's test, they saw galloping from the forest a young knight. Straight toward the glass mountain he rode. He was cased in steel, from head to foot, gay plumes waved above his helmet. His shield was on his arm, his sword at his side. He kept his seat so firmly and rode so proudly that everyone was anxious to see the stranger knight. Who could he be? they asked. No one knew him. None had ever seen him before. But the prince gave them little time for thought or question. Scarcely was he out of the woods before he had reached the mountain, and without stopping for a moment, he raised himself in the saddle, dashed his spurs into the steed, and went flying up the steep ascent as though it had been an open plain. But he did not ride to the top, for when about halfway up, the steed suddenly swung himself around and came dashing down the mountain with such speed that the fire flashed from beneath his hoofs. In a moment, he had disappeared into the woods. It can well be imagined that the people were greatly astonished. They talked of nothing else but of the stranger knight and his magnificent steed and armor. As for the princess, who from her high seat on the mountain had caught but a glimpse of the glittering stranger, she was so struck with his proud bearing that she dreamed every night of the brave young horseman. Thus the time passed until at last another day was appointed on which the suitors of the princess were for the second time to try their skill and luck. Again the princess seated herself upon her throne at the very top of the glass mountain. Again, at the foot of the mountain, all the suitors assembled with prancing steeds and shining armor, so that the whole plain sparkled and glistened as does the rippling sea in the sunshine. And once again, all the people for miles around flocked to see the great sight and to watch the efforts of the horsemen. When all was ready, the bugles sounded and the drums beat as the signal for the start. Then each suitor spurred his horse and tried with all his might to force his way up the steep side of the mountain. Yet none could go but a little way on the slippery ground. And as before, one after another, horses and riders, slipped and rolled head foremost to the mountain's foot. And the cries of the fallen, the shouts of the people, and the noise of clashing armor was heard far within the forest. Just at this time the prince was watching his flock as usual. When he heard all the noise and shouts of the people, he sat down on a stone, buried his face in his hands, and wept, for he thought of the beautiful princess and wished that once again he might try his luck with the others. Suddenly he heard footsteps, and looking up again, he saw the dwarf before him. Good day, said the little man. Why do you sit here so sad and sorrowful? I have cause to be sad, answered the prince, 
on your account i am banished from my father's palace and now i have not even a horse and armor that i may try to win the lovely princess if that be all said the wild man i can easily comfort you in time of need you gave me your assistance and now i will help you in return with this promise he took the prince by the hand and led him again deep down into the earth and showed him a complete suit of armor made all of the purest silver and sparkling like a diamond nearby stood a noble steed black as coal with trappings of silver to match the armor already saddled and bridled stamping and neighing with impatience to be off now said the wild man make haste arm yourself and be off to try your luck meanwhile i will watch your sheep with all speed the prince buckled on his armor made fast his helmet spurs and sword and moved as lightly in his silver armor as does a bird in the air then he sprang into the saddle grasped the bridle and rode off toward the glass mountain the suitors of the princess had finished their unsuccessful trials of the day not one had won the prize suddenly they saw a horseman dash from the woods and gallop toward the mountain from head to foot he was cased in silver armor helmet shield and sword rested gracefully upon him he sat his horse with such ease and grace and yet so firmly he managed his horse so well that all eyes were fastened upon him the people recognized him as the stranger knight who had ridden so gallantly on the first day of the sport and who had so suddenly vanished into the woods but the prince did not give them much time for wondering scarcely had he reached the plain when rising in the saddle and dashing the spurs into his steed he rushed like a flash of fire up the mountainside yet he did not quite reach the summit for just as he neared the top just as he saluted the princess with a wave of his helmet his steed suddenly wheeled around and like a flash of lightning flew down the mountainside and into the woods this caused a still greater commotion than did the first day's occurrence and everyone wondered who the stranger could be but all were certain they had never before seen so magnificent a steed or so stately a knight moreover it was said of the princess by those whose eyes were the sharpest that when the stranger knight greeted her at the top of the mountain she blushed as red as the reddest of roses again the days passed by and then the king appointed a third and last day on which the suitors were to try their skill and luck the princess was again seated upon her throne on the very top of the glass mountain there as before she sat with the crown on her head and the gold ball in her hand again all the suitors assembled on the plain at the foot of the mountain with their finest steeds and sparkling armor and the sight was gorgeous to behold thither from miles around the people flocked in dense crowds to see the final contest between the rival suitors at last all was ready the signal was given and then one after the other each suitor spurred on his steed with all his strength hoping to gain the summit of the mountain but as before one and all failed in the attempt 
for the mountain was smooth and steep, so that no horse was able to ascend but a little way, and then, stumbling backward, down to the very foot of the mountain, rolled horse and rider, unsuccessful as before. The shrieks of the horses, the cries of the wounded, the shouts of the people, and the clashing of armor raised such a tumult that the noise could be heard far within the forest. Now the prince at this time was watching his flock as usual, and had led them far into the woods. When he heard all the noise and shouting, he sat down on the ground, buried his face in his hands, and wept bitterly, for he thought of the lovely princess, and would gladly have risked his life to win her for his bride. "'Good day. Wherefore are you crying so bitterly?' said a voice beside him, and looking up he saw the wild man standing close by. "'I cannot restrain my tears,' said the prince. "'On your account am I banished from my father's house, and now I have not even a horse and armor that I may try my fortune and see if I can win the princess.' "'Oh-ho!' said the dwarf. "'I can easily bring you comfort. You helped me once, and now I will return your kindness.' He then took the prince by the hand, led him to his cavern far beneath the earth, and there showed him a suit of armor with helmet, sword, and shield, all made of pure gold. So glittering was the gallant display that the rays of light reflected from the armor shone like the sun itself. Nearby stood a giant steed, as white as snow. His trappings were all of the finest gold set with precious stones. He was already saddled and bridled, and he stamped and neighed in his impatience to be off. So restlessly did he champ at his bit that the white foam was tossed from his mouth. Now, said the wild man, be quick. Put on your armor and go. Try your fortune. The prince obeyed without loss of time. He buckled on the armor, the helmet, and the spurs, and fastened the sword by his side and now he moved as lightly and nimbly in his golden armor as a fish darts through the water. Lightly he sprang into the saddle, tightly he grasped the bridle rein, and was off like a flash for the glass mountain. The suitors of the princess had finished their final contest. Each rider had tried his very best, yet none had won the prize. As they stood on the plain talking disconsolately of their failures, Suddenly they saw a young horseman dart from the woods and gallop straight toward the mountain. From head to foot he was cased in sparkling gold. His helmet and shield, his spurs and sword were all of the same dazzling metal. He sat so proudly and yet so gracefully in the saddle that his horsemanship was unequaled by any knight whom the people had ever before seen. All greeted his appearance with shouts and cheers, for they recognized in him the knight who had appeared on the two previous days. But the prince did not give them much time to see him, for as soon as he had reached the plain, he raised himself in the saddle, dashed the golden spurs into his steed, and sped like a flash of lightning up the steep mountain slope. When he had attained the very summit, he sprang from his horse saluted the princess with all knightly courtesy, bent the knee before her, and grasped the golden ball from her fair hands. 
then throwing himself again upon his steed he dashed down the mountain so that fire flashed from under his steed's gold-shod hoofs then he vanished into the woods like a glowing meteor now there was a great rejoicing among the people the drums beat the trumpets sounded and all were merry and glad and the king made proclamation far and near that an unknown knight had won the great prize. What the princess thought the people could not say, but it was whispered among them that the crimson blush of pleasure covered the princess's face when the stranger knight took from her hands the golden ball. It now only remained for the knight of the golden armor to make his appearance and claim his bride. None knew where he lived, but all expected on their return to find him waiting at the palace with the golden ball. But he was not there, and he did not come. All wondered greatly at his delay, and the longer he tarried away, the paler and more restless the princess became. The king at last grew impatient, and the knights and nobles were incensed at the victor's long tarrying and murmured more and more each day. As the king could think of no other way to find the unknown knight, he proclaimed throughout his kingdom that on a certain day all suitors of the princess, high and low, rich and poor, should assemble in the palace court, and then the princess herself should choose among them whom she would wed. On the appointed day a countless number assembled in the court. Then the princess stepped out, attended by her maids, and went around among them all. But though she looked closely at the face of every knight and noble, yet she found not the one whom she sought. When she had gone around to the very outermost circle of the throng, she suddenly spied among a crowd of village people a young man who seemed to rivet her attention. He wore upon his head a common hat, and had thrown carelessly around him the gray cloak of a shepherd. His hat was pulled low down over his face so that his features could scarcely be discerned. But the princess made her way quickly through the astonished crowd, pushed back the hat from his face, and grasping him by his arm, she cried out loudly, He is here! He is here! I have found the victor at last! At this all the people laughed, for they saw that the one whom she had found was only the king's shepherd and the king himself exclaimed, Now heaven forbid that I should ever have such a son-in-law. But the young man was in no wise abashed. With head erect he made answer, Do not grieve yourself, O king. I am the son of one as great as yourself. Thereupon he threw off the shepherd's cloak, and, lo, the people ceased from their laughter and broke out into a universal shout of joy, for there, in place of the gray shepherd, stood a handsome young prince, cased from head to foot in armor of glittering gold, and in his right hand he held the princess's golden ball. Then all the people recognized him as the same brave knight who had reached the summit of the glass mountain. At once there was great rejoicing throughout the whole kingdom and the prince took his beloved princess in his arms, embraced her fondly, and told her all about his home and his parents, 
and why he had been obliged to live in disguise far from his father's kingdom. The king was rejoiced to have such a son-in-law. He had the marriage feast prepared at once and set with such splendor and magnificence that the like was never before seen nor heard of. All the king's sons and all the knights and nobles from far and near were invited to the wedding, and the prince received his beautiful bride and with her half the kingdom. The wedding festivities continued for a full week, and then the prince took his bride to his own father's palace. There he was received with the greatest rejoicings, and the king and queen both wept for joy at once again seeing the son whom they had so long mourned as dead. After a short stay, the prince and princess returned to their own kingdom. There they lived many happy years, but the wild man of the woods was never heard of more. End of section 11 The Princess on the Glass Mountain Recording by Annalisa Bodker